The Viewpoint, 8 to 10 p.m. Flipping conventional wisdom on its head. On the viewpoint. How nice that sounds. The song is on my back on the viewpoint. Good evening, South Africa. This is SAFM leading the conversation. Professor Zachariah Giodirileng Matthews died in May 11, 1968. That's 51 years and four days ago. Professor Matthews married Mama Frida Bokwe. Mama Frida Bokwe was the first African woman to earn a degree in South Africa, an African nationalist. Professor Zachariah Matthews, in his time, was a professor of social anthropology as well as customary law among his students, Nelson Mandela, Oliver Tambo, Mangosutu Butelezi. He died in Washington, D.C., a place I was very fortunate to have lived in. I'm now sitting about to engage their granddaughter. Listen to this. Dr. Naledi Pando. Dr. Pando, Minister of Higher Education and Training in South Africa. Good evening. Uh, good evening, uh, Sonia, as well, and evening to, to your listeners. I hope you're well. I'm very well, and I made sure to remember Mama Frida Boko because I was in the audience at Forte in 2016 at the centenary celebrations when you were talking about the fact that all very well and good to talk about a Professor Z.K. Matthews, but there's a mm. giant in Mama Frida Boko who's not often celebrated as well as she ought to be. This, this is very true. Um, she played a very important role. Uh, not only in his life, but in uh, being a, a woman who uh, pursued uh, education at uh, all levels and then served young people as a librarian uh, for a large part of her life at University of Fort Hare, at Inanda Seminary. And then uh, she was the librarian of the first library in Botswana in Khabarone for many, many years and retired after she'd reached the age of 70. And she was a very loved Granny Matthews in Botswana. South Africans, there we go. Mamana Lady Pando, Doctor, Minister of Higher Education and Training in South Africa, who's just recently completed her PhD thesis at the University of Pretoria, titled The Contested Meanings of Transformation in Higher Education in Post-Apartheid South Africa. We're in conversation with her tonight and talking about all things to do with decolonization in higher education and training spaces here in South Africa. Slight changes to what we normally have. Our number is 209 at the end because of some technical challenges we have in our Radio Park studios. So the the line to call is 891 If you want to engage us, we don't have the WhatsApp voice facility, but we have the WhatsApp text facility. The number's the same there, 0614-104-107. Mama Naledi Pando, Dr. Naledi Pando, Minister Naledi Pando, she's in studio with us talking about issues to do with education. Dr. Pando, let's talk about the historical perspectives before we try and talk about what it is that we are seized with in higher education and training. Could you, in a matter of two to three minutes, just give us a historical perspective from Black Administration Act, particularly to Bandu Education Act, and how all of these played out to what we would inherit through Professor Busisobengu in 1994 as what was the status of higher education in South Africa owing to the legacy of what was before 94? Well, uh, I think Song is very quickly. Firstly, I want to ask you, did you read my thesis as you promised? Apparently, I was told it's not yet available. So It, it is available now. It's online on the University Library website. I looked for that. Uh, I haven't so, so I read it. So I you another four weeks. No, I only need one week to read that thesis. I promise <laughs> I'll read it. But I didn't read all it right. simply because when I looked for it and I tried all manner of Google th- 
inputs and I mm-hmm. couldn't find it. But yeah, I was told it's not available. And okay. I now know. upload it. Yeah. Thank you, indeed. Um, so, so with respect to to uh, education in South Africa, as uh, all the listeners would know, education was a subject of massive social engineering uh, in this country under apartheid. Black people uh, made uh, all efforts that they could to provide quality education uh, to uh, their children and our community. But at every turn, they face the racism of colonialism and then the more deadly social engineering of apartheid. The uh, apartheid state uh, essentially destroyed what were uh, mission schools uh, in South Africa, which were the main providers of education uh, for black people, uh, with a few community schools that had been started primarily by traditional leaders. The uh, destruction was both closure of school as well as uh, imposing the Bantu Education Act uh, in 1953, which compelled essentially uh, the uh, offering of low-quality education to black people and prevented their access to uh, uh, the opportunity that it was few uh, had had uh, for quality uh, education. With respect to higher education, uh, black people could not access what were then uh, the uh, so-called English-speaking, historically white uh, institutions. There were some uh, old Afrikaans medium institutions. Primarily, there was a University of Christian Higher Education in Portchestroom. And then uh, Stellenbosch University, these are are the older ones. There were some later uh, institutions established. The oldest uh, institution serving a non-racial community was the University of Portaire, begun by uh, black uh, intelligentsia uh, in South Africa, uh, supported by traditional uh, leaders who actually gave the land on which Portaire now stands. The... uh, the university was begun as a university college of UNISA and uh, admitted students from all uh, racial groups, mainly Africans, um, as well as colored and Indian students, and a few white uh, students, among which would be the family, uh, famous and well-known Wilson, uh, a family of Professor uh, Wilson that some listeners may know. Now, in... 1916, Forte got off the ground and produced uh, some of the people you've referred to, Z.K. Matthews, Jababu, many, many uh, well-known intellectuals uh, who led um, intellectual thought, uh, particularly within the African and broader uh, black community in South Africa. The apartheid state was most uncomfortable about the role that Forte was playing, not just as an institution for South Africans, but for Africans from all over uh, the continent, including Kenya, um, Zambia, uh, Uganda, uh, Botswana, Lesotho, Swaziland. And so what happened was, in 1959, they passed a rather awful act called the Extension of Universities Education Act. The word extension appeared to suggest that more education would be provided to black people but essentially it was to impose a Bantu education, ethnicity, on a University of Forte and make that university uh, primarily for Kosa-speaking uh, uh, students yes. and then to establish institutions uh, 
an institution in the north I've got um, in and the, uh, yeah. in the Zululand yeah. later, which All were reserved for particular ethnic groups. So a cleavage was struck in what had been an attempt to bring black people from all communities together. You also later had the establishment of the University of Western Cape. So essentially, the grand design of apartheid was imposed on what had been a really beautiful intellectual notion of a non-racial, knowledge-based uh, institution uh, seeking to offer opportunity to a wide range uh, of young people in South Africa. But the apartheid state brought the mantle of apartheid to impact most horribly on uh, the University of Forte and essentially destroy its original mission uh, and idea. And we've inherited that uh, historically disadvantaged institution's mantle into even our post-25 years uh, of democracy in South Africa. And the very uh, challenges of decolonization, transformation, and all the various rubrics uh, that we use result from uh, this attempt by colonial uh, and imperial uh, racists to, uh, you know, sow a cleavage uh, within the black community and also prevent us from entry to uh, the highest levels of knowledge uh, opportunity and change of our socioeconomic status. That, in a nutshell, is a terrible summary. Sure. No. But uh, that, that gives an overview. I want now, just for very briefly, you, you see, when you talk about what we inherited, people think just because there were no universities as we now know them, the notion of education and the pursuit of knowledge is a foreign concept in Africa. This is, of course, totally false. Well, the, the early universities began on the African continent. Um, we speak of, of uh, Egypt and tertiary institutions uh, there uh, in, in the various parts uh, of Egypt. Uh, we also speak of uh, institutions in Mali. So there's a well-known tradition uh, of knowledge generation uh, on the African continent. But it has, uh, uh, over uh, many, many decades and centuries, been decimated uh, by colonial edict. What people probably don't know is you talk about Egypt and Mali. We're talking about the oldest manuscripts of knowledge ever known to man, the manuscripts of Timbuktu. We're talking about University of al Karouin in Morocco, which was founded, incidentally, by a woman, as well as the institution, and I forget the name, that is in Egypt. They are contesting, and there's a battle between mm. the two of them for the highest tertiary institutions the world has ever seen. So it's, it's important to preface that by saying knowledge is embedded in Africa. Because I want us to know, now that we understand the historical perspectives and what it was this that was the assault on African institutions, let's talk about, Mama, please, the advent of the Constitution, Sections 29, sections 16, academic freedom, sections 30, language and culture. The Constitution mm. is a transformative document. And embedded mm. in all of that, certain things that had come to characterize higher education and the education space broadly ought to change. They needed to change. And if you look at, for instance, section 1B of, I mean, sorry, section 291 Everyone has the right to further education, which the state, through reasonable measures, must, mm, make, progressively must make progressively available, available. and accessible. 
subsection 2, everyone has the right to receive education in the official language or languages of their choice. Those mm-hmm. two things. Mm-hmm. Access, mm-hmm. because the access question is a freedom charter yeah. um, provision, if you will. The one about language, it's a dignity issue. It's about Africans expressing themselves and, which yeah. is more, unlocking African epistemologies because language unlocks information or can unlock information. Can you just give us a kind a point or two around those constitutional provisions and how they ought to have played themselves out before we actually look at how they played themselves out? Well, I think uh, uh, on, you know, given the experience that uh, we had under apartheid and uh, primarily the effect of not being committed uh, to access uh, uh, higher education, uh, in the uh, period leading up, to uh, freedom, we had uh, huge struggles around access uh, uh, to to higher education. And uh, the demand was really that we want to see a greater presence of black people. So on the access question, there have been huge, huge struggles by uh, many organizations, students, uh, organizations, teachers, lecturers, teacher unions, academic unions, political parties, and the demand was greater access for black people. And so you would see uh, in the uh, era of democracy that on the question of numbers, uh, which would be access, there has been progress. But underlying the concept access lie many, many nuances uh, that would all need to be examined. So if you look at race, it's just but one aspect. Uh, You would have to add issues of gender. Then once you've looked at that, you must look at which disciplines are being accessed, you know. So are we really changing the character of the uh, uh, knowledge workforce uh, in South Africa? Are we uh, changing the structure of the economy through the skills that are being produced and who accesses those different skills opportunities? So there are many complex issues that one must address in each of Uh, these domains. In the arena of language, uh, we we have really not, I think, made the progress that was anticipated when those wonderful clauses in the Constitution were framed. It has proven uh, much more difficult to uh, get institutions to independently pursue the development of African languages. Attempts have been made uh, at University of Forte, certainly with uh, advancing the philology and the linguistic uh, 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 components of advancing uh, uh, the study and knowledge of Isikosa. Uh, similar efforts are underway at University of KwaZulu-Natal, but there hasn't been that bold initiative that uh, from, you know, year so-and-so, all uh, uh, programs um, in um, the law faculty will be taught in Isikosa or in the medical faculty. Mm. There are, I think, some uh, good examples where, for example, medical students are required at some of our universities to take an elective in one of the vernacular languages in order to be able to communicate properly uh, uh, with patients and so on. But this is not an advance in terms of, a get, you know, being able to uh, put together a body of literature 
representing uh, the stock of African uh, uh, knowledge or indeed the pursuit of uh, a a set of disciplines uh, through our uh, African languages. We haven't got there as yet. We're taking your calls on 0891-104-209. We're taking WhatsApp texts, not voice, texts on 0614-104-107. The numbers change because there's a slight technical error in the studios from which we ordinarily broadcast from. So apologies for that from the SABC. He has a question for you, Dr. Pando. Professor Shadrach Chirikuri, who was in studio last weekend, to whom you actually spoke about his exploits in pyrotechnology and the archaeology space. This yeah. is what he says in response to this language point. The French learn in French, the English in English, the Chinese in Chinese, but as Africans, we learn in other nations and peoples' languages. Why? The excuse is that English or French allow us to communicate with the world. However, our culture is important to our development and language is a key element of culture. Researching and learning in our mother tongues gives us local perspectives that we need to develop in a decolonized way. We are still tied to the former colonial powers in terms of language and, and, and culture. To perform research that meets needs of our communities, we must also learn our languages and learn in our languages. We cannot be truly decolonized unless we embrace our language. Is the government thinking of investing in making local language mediums of instruction in science, engineering, and technology to fulfill constitutional provisions and to unlock more problem-solving options for rural and township communities? Professor Shadrach Chirikure. Mm. Well, we've had a, a language policy uh, uh, that was framed uh, through a language committee that was established several years ago by uh, Minister Professor Kada Asfal. Uh, that policy was published, I think, in 2004 or five, um, and uh, you know, higher education institutions had use of that uh, framework. But to my uh, uh, knowledge, not great uh, use has been made of it. We are now uh, in the process of developing a more definitive policy framework, which will require that institutions do commit to use and development of programs in at least one of the African languages uh, in South Africa. We're in conversation with Minister of Higher Education, Dr. Naledi Pando. This is SAFM, The Viewpoint. We're opening the lines now. Anybody can call. Please do call. There's only half an hour remaining of this hour with Mama Pando. The line is 0891-104-209. WhatsApp texts, please, 0614-104-107. This is The Viewpoint. Stay tuned. Dr. Pando in the house. Flipping conventional wisdom on its head. on SAFM. Together with Dr. Naledi Pando, Minister of Higher Education and Training, Dr. Naledi Pando scooped her PhD in education from the University of Pretoria a few weeks ago. She registered for her degree in person, diligently attending classes and defending her proposal. After waiting in the queue, like everybody else does who has a PhD or has ambitions for such, we engage her now on the subject of her PhD thesis, The Contested Meaning of Transformation in Higher Education in Post-Apartheid South Africa. Dr. Naledi Pando, let's talk about the work of the Council for Higher Education in the context of access. What is it that they look for in promoting? We've talked about language, and, and access, of course, should not just be understood as numbers and traffic in the yeah. classrooms. It's a whole host of factors that contemplate the socioeconomic circumstances of South Africa to the people who ought to be uplifted from these conditions using the spaces of higher education and training. And by training, I want us to focus on 
TVET colleges and their yeah. role in local economic development, skills output? Well, uh, the TVET college sector, again, uh, you and, and the listeners would remember that one of the things we had in South Africa was something called job reservation under apartheid. Yes. Now, what that policy did was uh, make it uh, uh, illegal for us to have opportunity, for example, as artisans and uh, state-owned corporations. You know, our people couldn't work on the railways uh, as technical uh, staff. And so we believed that educational opportunity and advancement lay uh, through acquiring a degree in a university. And so uh, we would pursue uh, careers as a, a black people in uh, theology, uh, as teachers, as doctors, and very rarely would we enter an artisanal uh, a profession, a vocational one, um, uh, nor uh, would we really see ourselves as working, you know, as plumbers, electricians, and so on, because it was difficult for us to qualify as artisans. So it has been quite a task for us to change the attitude toward uh, vocational and technical education among young people in our country. We've made bursaries available. We have uh, careers advice. We're trying to attract young people to this area because that's where opportunities for entrepreneurship and employment uh, exist. So we have uh, uh, begun to uh, dramatically improve the character of the TVET sector and of a real opportunity for high-level technical and vocational skills training for our young people. But it remains an uphill battle in comparison with students' interests uh, in universities. Let's talk about battles from a constitutional perspective as it pertains to your thesis. You're talking about contested meanings of transformation. Mm -hmm. What remains an unresolved or sufficiently undefined constitutional feature or imperative that addresses transformation, but within the space of higher education and training, it is unresolved because there are just too many definitions or nuances attached to that? Oh, there's so many. Uh, uh, Really, I think it's it's the question of the pursuit of equity. And I I suppose, uh, uh, to be simplistic, one would say, that uh, what uh, we all should strive toward much more is ensuring that when I enter uh, the gates of any uh, university in our country, I know I've come into an establishment of the highest level of intellectual pursuit, uh, that odious practices such as gender-based violence, uh, sexual harassment, racism uh, would not feature uh, as part of the uh, uh, characteristic uh, of my institution. Unfortunately, today we still see those uh, uh, negative uh, features and characteristics in our institutions, and they uh, uh, detract from the uh, intention and objective of achieving a human dignity and equity, which are key constitutional uh, values in the Bill of Rights of South Africa. Talking about that, that talks to academic freedoms 
and how they can be abused, Section 16 of the Constitution. I mean, so just how very... they can be neglected, certainly, uh, and uh, indeed abused in practice uh, uh, by um, sometimes, sadly, uh, institutional leaders. I've been uh, in interaction with uh, female academics in universities, and they're telling me horror stories about sexual harassment and about the inability to advance um, as an academic unless you offer or are prepared to offer sexual favors. Um, You know, you being kept as a junior lecturer, poor access to uh, research grants and really inadequate attention to gender uh, equity. These things should not exist in a quality higher education sector, but they are features uh, uh, that are uh, identified and referred to often by various stakeholders uh, uh, in our institutions. We're taking your calls, 891 Dr. Nareti Pandu, Minister of Higher Education and Training in studio. We have to now go to the public. The text messages, please keep them coming, 614 And just before we take a quick ad break, I have to ask this. Professor Gio Quino, who's a professor of administrative law and public procurement, asks, why are public institutions that are publicly funded with a public mandate and scope outside the purview of the triple PFA from a procurement perspective because in the context of university spend, there is no monitoring as it pertains to the transformative agenda that is espoused by procurement patterns. I mean, are there any principled reasons, he goes on to ask, why basic constitutional standards of fairness and equity should not be applied in spending in higher education institutions? Institutions are required to to observe the uh, preferential requirements, but um, they are not uh, audited on the basis uh, of those. And uh, we are looking at whether we should have more stringent uh, monitoring and evaluation of uh, institutional spend, because it is a concern that has been raised with me uh, uh, many, many times by various uh, particularly black uh, uh, businesses who find they do not enjoy opportunity in many of the contracting opportunities that come out of investments we're making in higher education. So we are uh, in discussion uh, with National Treasury as to what we can do in order to address these particular gaps. Stella, stay ready. Andrew, stay ready. We're taking a quick ad break before we get back to you. Calls to the Minister of Higher Education and Training, Dr. Nali Dipando, 891 Stay tuned. The Viewpoint, 8 to 10 p.m. Flipping conventional wisdom on its head. on the Viewpoint. We're taking calls to Dr. Pando. First question or first comment from Stella. Short and sweet, please. Hi, hi, hi. Um, I wanted to talk about the language. And on the language side, I really appreciate the stance that you took in terms of Swahili being an additional language at the primary school starting from there. And I wish it wasn't um, just a choice. Maybe in the near future, if it could be compulsory. Thank you. Thank you so much. Andrew in Cape Town. Thanks, Stella. Good evening. 
Um, I've been listening with great interest to Dr. Pandor. I agree with her 100% about the need to develop African language and African culture. I'd like to ask her, why did she send her own son to bishops and her own daughter to Herschel, both of which are very private, elitist, colonial schools, Any other calls? teaching in English with white Ooh. teachers with an imperialist background? Why did she send... She seems to believe in African language, so why did she send her own children right, so to school with English language, white teachers? Why didn't she send them to state schools with black teachers and black languages? Hold on, Professor, uh, Dr. Pandey, before you reply to that, we're going to go to Willie in Christiana in the Northwest. Uh, uh, thank you, uh, uh, and, and good evening uh, to the minister. As a quick, quick, uh, 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 I, I read the article many years ago uh, uh, about uh, the, 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 the then minister of Bantu uh, education, Sulvurt, uh, who once said, and I quote, what is the use of a black child to be taught uh, mathematics? What is he going to do uh, with mathematics anyway? So in comparison with, with our neighboring countries such as Zimbabwe and Zambia in mathematics, does maybe the minister think that Maybe uh, that, that particular kind of, of, of education regarding math influenced our country to, to date in as far as mathematics is concerned. Thank you very much. Thank you so much. Lawrence Indiana Limpopo. Um, um, evening, as long as I'm the minister. Um, you know, I'm actually not foreigning in connection you know, with what, you know, I'm actually doing as an African, but nobody can not seem to take it, you know, I'm in cognizance of that. Uh, first, you know, um, I've got actually you know, a rare talent in creating languages. For instance, I've actually now created Chokorija language, which is, you know, the lost language of Africa. I have actually written, you know, um, quite extensively. I've got books that I can actually prove, one of which I've sent, you know, to the uh, Department of Art and Culture in Yen Lipopo, but there seems to be actually no actual progress. Just actually, you know, um, recently I wrote The 15 Pillars of African Knowledge and Wisdom. The second one is the 15, you know, I mean, science that controls Africa and guided, you know, African intellectual mind. I have also, you know, created something that can bring millions of tourists from the four corners of the world that I virtually called the actually um, casino of life. You come here, I have discovered, you know, the most intelligent insects that can actually retrace the first actual no credit of mankind. I've got all these things by myself. I have no resources to develop this place to bring all the millions to South Africa that can boost, you know, our revenue. Sure. It's so um, it's, it, it's so disheartening. I don't know what to do. I'm stuck. Please help me. Thank you so much, Lawrence. In Diana in Limpopo. Final one, GM in Pulugwane. Hello, it's GM in Tando. How are you? Fine, thanks. How are you? Your thoughts on the yes, please? My word is based much on the persons with disability in terms of access. Because we find that really uh, in higher education, although this higher education, we, we, we stated that they are independent, but the problem is that starting from the curricula itself and all those access environment and everything there, you find that the, the people, persons with disabilities, special blind and the uh, hard of hearing impaired, the deaf people, they they finding themselves very difficult to to, to get education. And for as a minister, uh, do we have any time to get to make an assessment in terms of those people? Right now, we are talking about the fourth industrial 
evolution, which I, I mean, in terms of myself checking those things, I found that most of the persons with disability they are going to be left behind. Thank you. Thank you so much, GM in Pulugwane. And more SMSs coming for you, Minister. I'm just going to read them. Are there any plans by government to ensure that the curriculum speaks to industry? Call De Beer. Given that we live in Africa, are there any plans to have more veterinary sciences offered at more South African universities? Kwezi Senanda says, or Senanda, I'm not sure about the pronunciation, I beg your pardon for that, Kwezi. Equalizing universities or make the standard consistent. Some universities are better quality than others. Any plans to upskill and improve resources in under-resourced universities? Nezotlalu. Part-time courses that can educate people about the development of apps, that's in the technological space, and programs aimed at solving farming problems as well as entry-level manufacturing like making small but standard cell phones as an example. Neziswambofana, how far is the department's workplace vocational training program? Fezile Bebelele, government funding for universities. What are the main determining factors? From outside, it seems like the former black universities such as Forte and Unitra WSU now are underfunded compared to say UCT and its final one Motsepe Rems says minister what is that the department of higher education and training is doing to make sure universities have policies towards sexual offenses at campuses now it's now 2048 the minister has taken in a lot i want to give another 2 minutes to consider all of that and just consider which points she wants to refer to. It's now 2048. We're going to have to take a quick ad break before we return and stretch the minister's response. Thank you so much for your participation. The minister follows after the break. Flipping conventional wisdom on its head. on SAFM. And with me is Dr. Naledi Pandu, the Minister of Higher Education and Training. We've been talking about many things, not least among them, the contested meaning of transformation in higher education in post-apartheid South Africa. Callers called, SMSs came through. I even read some of the posts on my Facebook feed just to keep listeners interested. And Mama Naledi Pandu has been taking in your points. Final thought, Dr. Pandu, just before I give you the opportunity to respond. Here's the final question that came through, and I think it's also quite important. Persons who are above, say, the age of 30, employed, committed, black tax, and all other socioeconomic uh, conditions that pertain to them that don't allow them to have disposable income to spend towards their development and upskilling, but nonetheless harbor an interest in terms of developing themselves. Are there any such programs to assist them? That's the final comment that I want to make from outside coming in, and everything now for the next five or so minutes is all yours in terms of response, Minister. Thank you uh, uh, very much. Well, these are all very complex and challenging questions. Uh, firstly, with respect to Swahili, uh, that is within basic education, and uh, I believe the intention of that department is to expand uh, the pool of, of languages uh, uh, available and being offered uh, to, to learners uh, in our schools. So it is a program that government is seeking to to, to expand, and I'm sure uh, will do so as uh, the progress unfolds with the introduction of Swahili. Uh, With respect to Andrew uh, uh, in in Cape Town, um, the choice of schools uh, uh, for our children was made by us uh, as a family. Some of my children, I have four. Uh, Some went to public school. Others went to, as he said, uh, the two private schools he referred to. And it was purely a family choice. 
which is a wonderful thing to have in free South Africa. Yes. Uh, Willie, uh, with respect to Furwood uh, and the impact of Bantu education on our performance in science and mathematics, we certainly are still lagging behind uh, uh, parts of, of certainly the SADC region as well as uh, uh, the uh, continent uh, broadly. But efforts have been made through a range of maths and science development programs to uh, open up opportunity and to ensure that in our schools we do have the appropriate facility for young people to access mathematics, uh, science and technology. So we are going to continue to see upward uh, movement in terms of our performance uh, in these areas, but we continue to be concerned that we're not yet seeing the level of uh, success uh, we would want to see, which would be at 50% and above in mathematics and physical science. But it is an ongoing set of initiatives which we must work hard at. Uh, with respect to Lawrence in Guiani, I would advise him to get in touch with the University of Venda and to approach there the uh, department, uh, uh, the chair in uh, indigenous uh, knowledge system, uh, which is a chair funded by the Natural Research, the National Research Foundation. They are working uh, in the area of, of really retrieving our indigenous knowledge and putting into play the highest levels of research and innovation uh, in this area. We also have a chair at University of KwaZulu-Natal and Northwest University where a degree, now I think an honours level degree is being offered in Indigenous knowledge. So I think Lawrence should try and form partnerships with those institutions. Uh, persons with disability, we've tried to improve support and to increase access to higher education for uh, such students through uh, them accessing the normal provisions of the National Student Financial Aid Scheme, uh, but also having access to additional funding for assistive devices, uh, uh, should they need them, to uh, support them uh, to succeed uh, in our institution. Um, on the curriculum, uh, uh, certainly uh, uh, we are uh, working very hard to uh, improve uh, the uh, nature of, of, of our curriculum. Uh, in, in the institutions and to ensure that we both modernize but also uh, bring in uh, parts of the global community and global knowledge, especially of the South, which is missing in many of our institutions today. On vet science, we're looking at Mafeking campus of Northwest and Forte, where they have a very good agriculture faculty. Mm -hmm. And I we agree. are looking at whether it is possible uh, for us to uh, have the beginning of a, uh, a development of the uh, faculty toward a fully met uh, vet sciences program. On courses on apps and uh, uh, innovation, we have a Miraka, which is a, uh, a body that exists under the Council for Scientific and Industrial Research, funded by the Department of Science and Technology. And they have a fantastic program on mobile apps, where they have mobile laboratories that go into colleges, townships, and schools that assist young people in innovating, uh, even what they call IGASI apps. There's a whole lot of innovation that is underway there. Workplace training, uh, lots of progress in the TVET funding, especially 
in the uh, centers of uh, specialization that I announced last year and which have got underway this year with contracts of apprenticeship for young people. Uh, with respect to developing historically uh, disadvantaged institutions, we do have a specific grant available. Uh, we are uh, looking at modifying it, and I'm sure the new minister will be able to announce the details of that, but we believe much more should be done uh, to improve the character of our historically disadvantaged institutions in order for us to see real uh, redress. Policy on sexual offences, I'm working on that. I've published a policy on gender-based violence. I've asked the public to comment uh, for the next 30 days, and following that, we then would be able to refine the framework that we published and ensure that uh, our institutions begin to adhere Mm. to the guidelines and the policy that is set out in that published framework. You did well, Minister. Our persons above 30, our community education and training colleges, are being modernized, developed in order to offer that category of young adults uh, skills opportunities uh, in a range uh, of skills. I think I've responded to each of, of, you of have, the comments. You have, thoroughly so. Yeah, we don't have more time, so I've tried to be uh, brief. But there is a website of the department, mm-hmm. and uh, all our, our listeners and the community can access uh, information on the many, many wonderful opportunities we have in our country. Excellent, Minister. Two more questions, one of which, I mean, three more contributions, one of which is a comment. One professor from the University of Forte says, thank you so much for your interventions. Keep digging. There's more to find there. Another one, Mr. Malwanden Tisana from East London says, in terms of access, how is higher education department facilitating the identification of human talent from grassroots levels? In other words, generally, students register for qualifications attached to society's views, money, status, etc., is it possible to have mechanisms that enable children to find and identify their strengths and thereby identifying career paths based on strengths? Final comment from Professor Quino again. Why so many regulators in higher education? Council for Higher Education, Department of Higher Education and Training, South African Qualifications Authority, in two minutes. Uh, well, each of the regulators deal with a different aspect of the uh, full uh, educational uh, offerings in our country. Uh, one is uh, for quality assurance, another accredits programs, and you have to have uh, that set of institutions in order to ensure um, that you are not leaving institutions to their own devices and you don't have bodies uh, that have uh, capabilities that you can trust to uh, give you a clear sense of the character of the programs that are on offer. So. We've tried to limit the number of institutions uh, and really seek to address issues of uh, quality and uh, uh, appropriate uh, standards in the uh, disciplines and programs that we offer in our institutions. Because there's a lot of gaming, uh, there are a lot of crooked people out there Mm. who try and really cheat young people and offer poor quality programs. We ask young people, check that the uh, programs you register for in the colleges you go to are properly registered and that you're studying uh, courses that are accredited so that you're not cheated uh, of of your resources. On careers, we have a careers uh, unit within the department, a very vibrant uh, career development program where we offer a website and advice to young people. Uh, We have a CETA program where we provide information. I sometimes go and stand at a railway station 
we hand out pamphlets and uh, do things to interest young people uh, in a range of careers. So it's quite a vibrant Keep on, uh, unit and set of programs. Uh, on Forte, uh, I really ask the community of Forte to, to support us in uh, addressing the challenges facing that institution which gave us uh, so much uh, good in our country, including our icon, uh, uh, President Mandela. So good point to note. certainly are serious about uh, ensuring that we address the negative problems uh, that are a feature of that institution at present. And that was, in a nutshell, the Minister of Higher Education and Training. Don't we wish all our ministers could sound like this about their respective portfolios? It's 2101. I'm sorry so much. I'm really sorry, Simpio and Longwane, but it's news.